Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Be a leader in loss prevention by implementing integrated solutions that enhance safety, reduce shrink, and help to improve merchandising, operations, and customer service. Bosch Integrated Security and Communication Solutions span Zones 1 through 4 in the LPRC's Zones of Influence, while enriching the customer experience and delivering valuable data to help increase retail profitability. Learn more by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is our latest uh, episode of the weekly series, uh, joined today uh, by our partners in crime here at the LPRC Crime Science Tom Meehan and Tony D'Onofrio, uh, our producer, Kevin Tran. And today we have a very special guest, uh, John Voitella, uh, former uh, chair of the LPRC Board of Advisors, um, longtime LPAP expert and senior leader. And we're going to hear and get to experience some of uh, John's uh, his wisdom later on when he has a conversation with Tony D'Onofrio. So starting off real quickly, um, you know, latest estimates are that in the United States, when it comes to COVID-19, the disease that uh, between 40 and 90 and maybe even more million Americans have been infected by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, and those are just estimates, uh, just uh, reported cases is somewhere around 40 plus million. Um, eight uh, more months to go till uh, at the vaccination rate we're at right now to achieve 75% vaccinations. Other, of course, epidemiologists are telling us that between the native infections that we just talked about, 40 to 100 million uh, plus vaccinations that uh, really by spring or summer, they believe that uh, a very significant amount of Americans, such a significant amount will have been infected or vaccinated that they're immune. They'll have some strong to very strong immunity, uh, potentially for weeks or months, and that um, that'll achieve some sort of community immunity, some sort of herd immunity level. So stay tuned. Uh, super spreaders, a lot of studies have been going on. What's that look like? Those that seem to distribute uh, up to three times the amount of droplets there, as we all know, what transport the viral particles, why we're trying to stay somewhat away from each other and uh, create obstacle courses for the droplets containing the virus uh, by masking in different ways uh, on both sides. So, but older, less healthy, higher uh, BMI uh, individuals for some reason seem to distribute uh, much more uh, in the way of droplets um, and so are designated super spreaders by some. So um, more to come on that. Um, right now, worldwide, uh, on the vaccine front, over 180 million doses have been um, administered. Um, roughly six and a half million per day are being administered. The United States, it looks like close to 56 million uh, Americans have received at least one dose. Um, and now we're, we're up to about 1.6 or so million doses being administered per day. Um, a lot of good research around combination of vaccines in case of vaccine is no longer available or somebody forgets what they got in their first dose. So they're looking at that, uh, that hetero administration of uh, two different types of vaccines. Um, but the idea again is the first dose, if it's a two dose uh, series is to first prime our immune systems 
uh, or at least bring it to the next level. And then the second one to further boost for <clears throat> more durable or longer term uh, immunity. Um, um, there's also been some good research coming out of Israel where such a large percentage of the population, uh, almost 1.5 million uh, citizens have now been vaccinated. They've seen a uh, about a 94% drop in cases of symptomatic disease, um, which was really the main endpoint of the uh, first two mRNA um, vaccinations or vaccines. In this case, it's the Pfizer um, uh, package that seems to be producing that kind of response. That's the response everybody's been looking for. So now we've gotten, you know, well over a million and a half people in the real world where uh, the data seem to say, show that about the same thing as the initial phase three trial in the earlier phases. So 92% um, less likely to get severe illness, which again is another endpoint. So symptomatic disease, and then finally a very severe disease from the, the virus. Vaccines have been, and, that, and there, therefore too, there's a lot of research on the therapeutic use of vaccines. Uh, should they hold some uh, and make it available, somebody comes in with serious disease, uh, you know, they're very seriously ill. Uh, and now maybe that vaccine dose uh, will start to confer some immunity to them, or at least boost their, their native immune system. So um, the vaccines have been uh, or prepared to be sent to 21 national and independent drugstores as part of the plan that's been ongoing. Um, so now with uh, the vaccines becoming available uh, at deeper and deeper uh, to non-governmental agencies, uh, into the drugstores, both independent and national chains, that should start to make a big difference. Um, we also are hearing that other pharmacy companies, uh, particularly the big uh, manufacturers that don't have uh, vaccines in the game, like we've mentioned before, Merck, um, are now offering or cutting deals to help also produce the vaccines so that they are being produced at much higher rate to get them out there. Um, there are about 37 vaccines in phase one, dose ranging and safety trials, uh, 27 vaccine candidates in phase two, larger scale dose ranging and safety and efficacy trials, uh, and then 20 vaccines currently in phase three. Again, six have emergency use authorization for approved uh, overall. So uh, on the vaccine front, a lot of huge progress. Um, the positivity testing rates are all over the place. I can tell you, UF, I get tested every week. It's, we went from about 6% positivity rates to now uh, well below 1%. Uh, but, the, but where some are hitting positive is when they break them down molecularly, they're seeing some of the new variants are here. Um, and again, the more humans that have the native infection, the more likely to have variations going on, the mutations that are going to occur as the errors and replication happen. So um, it's another reason to kind of race and get people immune as much as possible so we ha stop having these new variants and strains coming out. Um, so on the LPRC front, um, we're continuing to go through Operation Next Level. We're excited about it. More videos coming in from senior APLP leaders ex uh, demonstrating their excitement and energy and why they're part of the LPRC uh, and encouraging fellow retailers to get them and their teams involved and engaged in the LPRC um, at all the levels in the working groups and so forth, the events. So um, stay tuned on that. But if you hear from uh, anybody from the LHC Lighthouse Consulting team uh, or one of our BOA members, that's probably what it's about is they just want to get an idea of where you are and, and see if you want to get involved. 
working groups. Uh, all seven have their strategies. They've all had their first calls. Um, we've got some new co-leaders joining the current leaders in each of those working groups. And again, those include uh, Organized Retail Crime Working Group, Data Inl Analytics Working Group, DOG, um, as we affectionately call it. We've got the uh, Violent Crime Working Group. We've got the Supply Chain Protection Working Group, which continues to grow. That's an exciting group. And they're taking on more safety issues. So if there's a safety issue that you're working on or want to work on, that's the group to be engaged in. Um, we've got the Innovation Working Group. We've got the Product Protection Working Group. Uh, retail fraud working group. So a lot going on. Um, so get involved, get engaged in one or more of these working groups, um, get to know people, uh, fellow retailers, uh, top-notch solution partners, providers, and work together with them throughout the year with our science team. Um, and then we've got special events for each of those working groups as well. Um, so we're preparing for Ignite, uh, which is our winter planning meeting. Uh, and part of that will be strategy at uh, Ignite, and you're going to hear uh, John talk a little bit about what strategy at means, what it's for, how it works, and a little bit about it um, coming up soon. So if I may, Tom, I'm going to hand the mic over to you and take her away. There's a couple different things we're going to talk about today, and one is uh, we, we're always talking about cybersecurity and kind of potential hacks and breaches, but just uh, last week there was a report out of a Florida water treatment facility that was hacked using uh, uh, a remote access server. So this is one of those things we talk about all the time, the potential that occurs. And this is something that really did occur. It wasn't a, it wasn't a test, it wasn't a drill. So sometime in early February, there was a Florida water treatment facility that uh, some hackers used their vulnerability in a remote access software called TeamViewer. Now, a lot of listeners probably have heard of TeamViewer before. It's pretty widely used. It's it's something that is out there, uh, and people use it often to access uh, remote computers. Remote uh, software in its entirety isn't really a, a bad thing. As a matter of fact, we all use it in every business. The key is to make sure your credentials are strong. And this particular hack, the hackers went into the water treatment facility plant and actually changed the levels of lye that was acceptable in the water uh, and allowed it to get to really a, a, a very dangerous level. And one of the, the kind of keynotes here is this was actually something that the Secret Service, the FBI, and uh, the actually Israel Defense Services worked on together. There was some information sharing uh, a, one of the key things here is there was a crisis averted, but it really shows the vulnerability to the United States water supply. Today, there's about 54,000 distinct water drinking systems throughout the United States. Uh, almost all of them use some level of remote monitoring software. You know, um, and what I would say is, and this is somewhat anecdotal, most of these facilities are unattended, um, underfunded, and don't have an actual IT person watching them all together. Now, this is something probably uh, as long as I can remember as utility and infrastructure is the risk in cybersecurity. Um, in this particular instance, someone happened to see the particles per million increasing and looked at it, and it wasn't until uh, much later on that it was actually identified that this was a true cybersecurity hack. What we often talk about uh, on this show is during COVID and all the other things, COVID and the political climate, a lot of these things, um, while they do make the news, kind of 
get uh, less attention than they probably deserve. So this on February 10th was on pretty much every um, uh, publication in the United States and actually outside the United States as well. But it didn't hit that front page. CNN had it, um, you know, as a story of the day. Um, all of Wired did a, a post on it. The Washington Post did a post on it. But it kind of fell to the wayside. And why I think that's important is that this is a real risk for us. Uh, we, we talk a lot about cybersecurity breaches and the impacts it has on brand uh, um, and people's financial situations. But this is a, a, a cybersecurity hack that really could have uh, had some serious, serious implications. Uh, there are some reports that suggest because the Super Bowl was in Florida, there were more people paying attention to that. But that's anecdotal and, and both on the good and the bad guy side of it. So the nefarious actors and federal and state law enforcement. This is a case where um, some of the, some cybersecurity experts are saying the fact that there is open lines of communication and sharing between multiple agencies, this was able to be identified. The national uh, cyber director in Israel actually talked about the fact that information sharing was important um, and was, was openly sharing with the Secret Service. If you're asking why the Secret Service is involved, Secret Service does investigate computer crimes as well. So I, I believe there'll be a lot more to come on it uh, of this story. We'll obviously cover it here. I'm not sure that it'll be as much in mainstream news with everything that's going else is going on. Um, one of the things that you know I found in, in the research is was how ridiculously easy it was to find out what remote software and what was going on with these these um, water supplies throughout the United States. So again, I think it's one of those things that just we we forget about um, and run through. And I know every once in a while it comes up, but more to come on that story. Uh, a little bit scary, but uh, definitely something just to keep in mind. And then switching gears, and I know I, I've been talking about this and Reed uh, you know, is talking about COVID and where we're at. And uh, we're now starting to see uh, a much more outward influx of information surrounding uh, COVID-19. Uh, I'll, I'll start with Facebook. There are multiple groups on Facebook today that are selling uh, counterfeit and bogus vaccines, very well packaged uh, company, uh, you know, real company names, and they're actually shipping products. So the, the, the thing here is that this is not just a scam where someone's trying to take your money and your information that we talked about before, but this is, you know, an e-com site set up that's shipping you something uh, that is not a COVID vaccine, although it looks like it. Uh, one of the, the topics of discussion in around social media is what is Facebook going to do about this? There's a lot of kind of um, negative uh, or press, if you will, around how Facebook you know, is picking and choosing what they're what they're attacking, and because these are on Facebook marketplaces, Facebook actually is making money when these are sold. So this is something that's run through. Um, the three that I physically saw were all from Chinese manufacturers um, that you know basically have setups of sites. And if you looked at this and didn't really you know know about it, you would you'd actually looks it looks very legitimate. It clearly isn't, but. It definitely does um, look uh, outwardly good, you know, official. And then the second, the second social media network or communications network that there's an influx on, which is not um, 
you know, not like Facebook in the sense that as a traditional marketplace is Telegram. And we talked a lot about Telegram and the fusion net and Telegram's an encrypted communications or chat service, um, similar to a WhatsApp. Uh, and what, what we're seeing is exactly the same um, uh, information being posted on Telegram that's on Facebook, mirroring the websites, mirroring the costing structures. Um, and again, the pictures are remarkably uh, authentic looking. Uh, you're going to a website that is taking payment and, and it's actually going through what I would say are more official channels. And then I think the scariest thing of all is they're sending a syringe with something in it. Um, you know, I don't, you know, have any idea what that would be, but it just reminds us all. And I know globally, this is, this is not just a U.S. thing. This is a global thing. And outside the U.S., I think it's actually a bigger problem that um, to date, there are no vaccines that you can buy online to get sent to your house. Uh, same thing with, with um, there are, you know, there are no therapeutics that are approved that you can get to your house. There is, there is one thing that is approved, and this is why I get concerned, is that it is uh, approved and, uh, and there are some test kits available. So as we get further along with this, I, I, can, I think this will continue to be a challenge because you'll have folks selling test kits that are counterfeit and don't actually provide value versus folks uh, that do. I know that we've talked about this before, but I think the concern today is that these are very, very legitimate looking and unlike some of the other ones that are just taking your money they're sending something which obviously poses a bigger risk so without further ado i'm going to turn it over to tony to talk to our guest thank you uh, very much tom uh, both of you for that great update uh, let me start by introducing our special guest and it's really a great pleasure to introduce uh, john goitilla and John is a global loss prevention and subject matter expert in developing scalable and actionable strategies. He has 20 years of leadership experience in office products industry, where he led the loss prevention and safety organizations at Office Max, Office Depot. Through mergers and acquisition, John develops logistic strategies that improve the profitability of the company. John joined Party City in 2017 as senior vice president uh, to lead the development of loss prevention and safety programs, store development facilities, and procurement function. Recently, John launched his own consulting practice, LP Focus LLC. John has been active uh, board member and past chair of the board of advisors for the LPRC. John has also been a speaker at the NRF Loss Prevention Conference, contributing to all leadership on topic, including team development and training. So. Great pleasure to have you with us, John. Welcome. Tony, thank you so much. And Tom and Reed, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's jump right in. Let me ask you some questions here. John, you facilitated a conversation with over 40 LP leaders last fall with LPRC before the Impact Conference entitled Strategy Ad. What is that strategy at and why was it initiated? Sure. Great question. Tony, one of the things that the Loss Prevention Research Council and the Board of Advisors wanted to be able to continue to do throughout the year is engage senior loss prevention AP leaders in a dialogue or a conversation, if you will, uh, on thought leadership. And in speaking with Reed and Paul Jekyll, who's the current chair of the Board of Advisors, I, I went out and I talked to several LP leaders over a course of probably six to eight weeks and really solicited their input uh, in the midst of the pandemic and saying, okay, what would, you, what would be value add for you to, to, to spend a couple hours, uh, a virtual uh, Zoom type meeting 
uh, to talk with your counterparts across the country and the globe, for that matter, in terms of uh, international programs. And so what we ended up doing was we built on Strategy at, which was done in person over a year and a half ago. And we created this virtual conversation where we had over 40 leaders um, actually stay connected for over two hours, sharing their, their, their thoughts and actions as they were managing um, through this uh, pandemic. That's great. Uh, can you highlight the takeaway from the session? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, first we had a we had a very collaborative discussion um, on how the pandemic has put LP and AP in the spotlight in their companies. You know, not surprising to me, having been a former practitioner, is is you have to be able to get information and flow it through your company. And what happened uh, this past year is you realized how important it was. Uh, and what we learned in this session is how important it was to have feet on the street and connection at the local level. You know, one of the things I think became very evident as we worked through the pandemic, and even though we're still in the midst of the pandemic, is that oftentimes federal, state, and local guidelines did not align. And so if you're a national retailer and you have stores in, in 50 states, you have uh, not only 50 different governing guidelines, but you perhaps have different guidelines even at the local level. Um, so that, that was one of the most significant um, uh, underlying discussions. It became a very, you know, it, the bottom line is LP leaders learn very quickly how to manage and lever, leverage the flow of communication in their organizations and their companies. And again, I can tell you firsthand that when a senior leader of LP tells the CEO information, it has to be vetted, it has to be factual, and the information that a CEO and the senior leadership teams can make decisions. That was probably one of the biggest takeaways uh, from that particular strategy at session. The other thing that I would add on is what Tom said earlier about information sharing. You know, the the one of the neat things about the LPRC and this and the group that's involved from a retailer and a solution provider standpoint is collaboration and sharing. Um, it, it's a very diverse group. You have senior leaders that have been in a role for multiple years that are have a lot of credibility in their organizations, have very good processes and, and, and team members that this, this, this shifting, if you will, or this pivot to the pandemic management, um, I'll, I'll just continue to do what they do normally. However, you also had a group of individuals that this might be the first uh, uh, acute issue that they had to deal with. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but where, where they had to learn on the fly. So the playbook was being developed on the go. That's great input. Uh, you're going to facilitate a session at the end of the month with the board. And can you speak about to acute versus chronic issues LPAP leaders are facing? Yeah, it, this is, this is uh, really a discussion. Again, one of the things that we wanted to do with the LPRC Board of Advisors and Strategy at couple times a year is make this a continuous uh, learning and opportunity for sharing. So one of the takeaways that we really heard from LP leaders was about the ability and the need to pivot to the acute issues that were occurring. So let's just take a little recap over the last, last year. So not only the pandemic, which you had to, which certainly was an acute early, uh, immediate onset of change and impact in the retail industry, 
LP and AP professionals had to spend more time on on safety protocols, uh, employee communication. Uh, again, as I said earlier about vetting communication flow from multiple agencies, understanding and interpreting guidelines. But then you also had the civil unrest uh, that that started as protest and then moved to civil unrest, and you had you had to you know go from uh, monitoring to perhaps boarding up your facilities, making decisions, and collaborating with other other retailers on what you were going to do, and then go go back. It all starts with safety of of your customers and of your employees. So so the acute issues, you have pandemic, you have civil unrest. And then we get into the back half of, of the year and we go right into preparing for potential violence um, with the uh, election. And uh, nobody would have really quite honestly thought about the insurrection that occurred in January. Um, and that really, those acute issues, some move into the chronic phase. But what happens is, and this is what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, the chronic issues sometimes get put on the back burner, um, at least for a short period of time. So when I talk chronic issues, we're talking about things like shrink, lost, waste. Uh, when everyone shifted and pivoted to the acute issues of the pandemic, um, stores closed, uh, inventories were canceled. Um, and now what's happening in 2021 is this is all kind of starting over again. So the retail cycle starts over. Companies are, are inventory in their stores. They're getting their shrink results. And, and part of it is understanding the chronic issues of what's changed. So you think about things like the rapid onset of, of, of changes to if companies didn't already have a curbside pickup, expansion of e-commerce. Uh, you just take those two things, the personal shopping and delivery. No one's really had the opportunity to study the potential impact of shrink and loss. So that's that's a big opportunity that we're going to that we're going to talk about um, here in a couple of weeks. And and so so acute uh, is, is the pain of the moment. Chronic is the long term um, piece and including uh, things like uh, erosion of consequences. Well, actually, that's top of mind for a lot of people. So can you explain more about the erosion of consequences and what are, other, what are retailers doing to combat that erosion? Yeah, I, um, erosion of consequences is a terminology. I think that uh, Reed has been talking about the Loss Prevention Research Council here for the last year or so, but we're seeing it more and more in the retail environment. And really what we're talking about there is, is the bad guys or the fraudsters are, are not deterred as much in the past, perhaps, because of, of a couple of things. Number one, changes in, in laws at the local, again, local and state level on, uh, for instance, the difference between the raising the thresholds of felonies versus misdemeanors. You have the issues that really started uh, last year coming to more to the surface and out for public dialogue of defunding law enforcement. And, 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 you know, we've always had in some of the bigger cities, uh, slower response or, or threshold differences for responding for shoplifting as an example. So those are a couple examples where retailers now have to have to think differently as they're connecting the dots and meeting with uh, local state and federal law enforcement. And, you know, so that that's a big part of what we're going to talk about. I really, Tony, I really appreciate it. Maybe Reed can give a little more perspective on erosion of consequences. Uh, yeah, it's such a key, important topic. And 
We're going to cover that in strategy out a lot. And we invite uh, the ones out there, the, the pyramid heads to reach out and, and engage and let us know if you have interest in that. But yeah, real quickly, John, yes, it's uh, as, I can't describe it any better than you did. It's just this confluence, just coming together of all these uh, factors that are real and present. And um, so offenders would be th thieves, fraudsters, and violent uh, people or intimidators just don't feel as much of a of a uh, uh, consequences present it's not going to deter them you know they don't feel like they're getting in trouble so i think that's the biggest biggest problem we've got right now thanks John, Reed. Any, any closing comments from you no tony i really really appreciate you guys having me on today i'm real excited about the opportunity to continue the work of the lprc and the board of advisors i i will tell you and your listeners that one of the organizations that when i was a pra practitioner uh, and today as a consultant, we'll get the most value is, is the independent science and research and the scientific approach that Reed and his research team takes at the University of Florida and the Loss Prevention Research Council. It gives uh, everyone an independent voice to take back to their companies. So I'm looking forward to the upcoming session. And again, thank you all for having me on today. Thank you very much, John, for those uh, great insights. And we're also very much looking forward to your next LPRC moderated uh, session. So thank you again, John. Really uh, great to have you on this podcast. Let me now switch by closing with some industry data, and I'll keep it shorter this week as we had our guest. Uh, so first, some good news from Chain Storage and uh, a forecast from Customer Growth Partners, which projected that in 2021, Retail sales will rise 8.1% up to $4.26 trillion. This 8.1% increase would mark the fastest growth pace this century, easily topping 2004's 6.4% increase. 56% of the increase will be through digital channels. So what Customer Growth Partners is forecasting, a lot of pent-up demand as we come out of the COVID-19 crisis. Let me switch to Statista, which uh, shared the four quarter GDP growth numbers. China was the first country to bounce back from its coronavirus losses, recording an amazing 6.4% growth in the fourth quarter of 2020. USA was down two and a half percent, Germany was down 3.9%, France was down 5%, and my little country of Italy was down 6.6%. Switching to the IHL group, uh, they have some really interesting data in terms of which vendors are retailers aligning with in terms of growing their investment with in uh, 2021. Microsoft was number one with plus 59%. Oracle was number two with plus 42%. Amazon, amazingly, was number three plus 36%. Cisco was number four, 29%, and uh, Salesforce was number five, plus 28%. These were ranked by the percentage retailers increasing business with this particular solution pro provider in 2021. So what that says, it's going to be a great year for Microsoft in the retail space, and I'm already seeing that actually all over the place. And let me close, actually, time back to where we started and talked about, especially with Reed and the pandemic, some new data this week from First Insight on consumer shopping behaviors 
as vaccines are rolled out. Uh, 31% of consumers won't get or are not sure that they want to receive a, a vaccine. Most consumers will not rush back to stores after getting vaccinated. 45% will go less or the same amount in the beauty stores. 45% same in footwear. 43% same in accessories, jewelry, and electronics. 41% same or less in luxury and 40% same or less in apparel. So you can see which sectors will continue to struggle as we speak right now. Spikes in COVID-19 are influencing in-store shopping and spending. 61% of consumers indicated that they would significantly or somewhat cut spending if a national lockdown was enforced. 60% state that spikes in COVID-19 cases are deterring them from shopping in stores. 71% still don't feel safe testing beauty products. 62% don't feel safe trying products in fitting rooms. 60% still don't feel safe trying on shoes. And 59% don't feel safe working with a sales associate. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kevin to close. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you so much, John, for being our guest today. And of course, thank you to Tony and Tom, as always, uh, for your insights this week. Uh, keep an eye out for more info about strategy at Ignite on our website at lpresearch.org. Um, and as always, keep in touch. Safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.